Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The uh, title of this talk is Our Greatest Protection. The Buddha said we have a choice. We can lead our lives as most people do, not aware and create sorrow, suffering, grief, lamentation, despair, filled with greed, hatred, and delusion. (laughs) And occasional delights and pleasures and enjoying fleeting experiences. Or we can uh, wake up to the highest happiness possible. Most people don't realize that there's a choice. And it's extraordinary, amazing, good karma that somehow we are aware of that and realizing it and having the opportunity and inclination and circumstances to practice it. In order to make this choice, we have to see where happiness really lies. We have to have some understanding, wise understanding or right understanding, the first link of the Eightfold Path, to see that happiness true happiness, sustaining happiness, deep, profound well-being is not in objects or things that are passing, but there is a deeper source of happiness. And that wise understanding then can spur us on to see how our mind works how it gets caught, how it can be free, to really understand and explore this mind-body process, which he figured out and that he said is available for all of us to figure out. And when we see how our mind works, when we understand the ways we get caught and the way can be, we can be free, then it requires real practice to train the mind and the heart so that we can change our habits. Even though we know better, those habits are really deeply ingrained. And so it doesn't happen just like that. Sometimes it does, but it's very rare that it happens and you are fully awakened with no more work to do. If that happens on this retreat, please let me know. For most of us, 
even seeing a very profound, in a very profound way, how the mind works, takes some diligent commitment and wholehearted effort so we can change those habits of mind. And modern neuroscience says the same thing. We can change our neural pathways, but those that have developed over time take a while to, um, to weaken and take a while to strengthen new habits that are uh, leading to greater well-being. So that, that wise understanding is the first link in the Eightfold Path, and that leads to how we can change the second link on the Eightfold Path, right thought or wise thought or wise intention. Hmm. Keeps on puffing. Wise intention where we can, where you see, okay, this is where happiness lies, and now I'm going for it. Where we incline our mind towards awakening. Intention is everything, as the Buddha says. Intending, we create karma through body, speech, and mind. Or as the Tibetans say, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. So we can have that strong intention, but then to fuel that intention, where do we get our juice, our sustaining inspiration that can keep us facing in the right direction and keep us practicing? As you've seen, you've all come here with with really great uh, intention. Something really strong made you rearrange your whole life to be here. Isn't that so? And so you've seen some possibility, but to sustain our practice day after day, uh, it's, it's not easy. If you're on a really great phase in your practice and everything is going swimmingly and you're saying, yeah, just can't wait for the next bell to ring so I can come into the sitting, you know, well, that's fabulous, but that, it's not usually sustained over a month period. There are times where you just say, oh gosh, another sitting, oh, now I have to do walking, oh, now I have to go to lunch, Now I've got to do this. Now I've got to do that. Even with tremendous inspiration, uh, sometimes it's hard to keep up our uh, our effort. And it does take effort. It takes great effort and commitment and patience to change a lifetime of habit and to keep facing in the right direction and keep committing to waking up. This is not an easy path. 
as uh, one Tibetan teacher who uh, has inspired me in many different ways. Uh, Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, the spiritual path is fraught with great peril, is arduous, has uh, many obstacles. So think carefully before embarking on it. But once started, it's best to finish. (laughs) Because when you do see the possibilities, even though it's hard, you look at the alternative and you say, wow, do I want to go for that? Do I want to live a life where I'm just pretending everything is okay, where I know better that this is not going to give me the, the happiness that has perhaps touched, touched you? <clears throat> so sometimes it seems like it's, it's out of reach for y- you, for us, to really wake up, but it's not so. And one of the most inspiring lines by uh, the Buddha that I, I reflect on each time I practice is a very simple phrase, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible. I came across a a treatise by this um, uh, great uh, 19th century and I think early 20th century uh, Burmese master, Lady Sayadaw, L-E-D-I, Lady Sayadaw. I think he was, I think he was Mahasi's teacher. Wasn't he one of Mahasi's teachers, Lady Sayadaw? Well, I think he was Mahasi Sayadaw's teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Was it? And uh, he said, um, most people think that enlightenment is something that happened 2,500 years ago and you had to be around the Buddha or the great ancients to really be free. But he said that we sell ourselves short and out of a thousand yogis, he said, he thought that three to five hundred have the capacity to fully awaken if they gave the wholehearted effort and commitment that it took. So what is the secret of wholeheartedness? Andrea uh, spoke a few nights ago about wise effort, gave a a very comprehensive um, explication of wise effort. It's really good. And one thing that I find it important to keep in mind is that um, wise effort, sometimes we confuse it with results, with how our practice looks. And if we're calm or we're clear or we're mindful, we must be doing it right. And if we're emotionally a basket case or we're filled with, with um, fear or we, have, uh, we, we seem to be spacing out, we must be doing it wrong and our effort isn't, isn't good. And this is a, a great uh, misunderstanding because 
you don't have much control over the process. And what might look like not very good practice, there are sometimes deep stages of fear that are a, a sign of very, a very profound understanding. And then there are times where you're kind of rolling along and, and not having many hindrances. And it's, it's not particularly deep. It's just a pleasant phase of practice. So not to confuse effort with what it looks like on the outside and that effort doesn't come from sheer willpower, that effort has to do with uh, sincerity of heart. That's, That's where we tap into something very deep inside that's not about looking good, not about meeting up to our, measuring up to our ideals. It's really coming from a deep place of connection inside. A number of years ago, I was at a, a conference with uh, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. It was in, in Dharamsala. And somebody asked him, um, how do you deal with all the, all the suffering in your life? That all the suffering that you see, all these, these refugees coming and telling you their stories, how do you deal with it without getting overwhelmed? And he said, my sincere motivation is my real protection. And then the next day, somebody asked, how do you work with fear? Because he said sometimes even he can get afraid and that there's fear uh, all around. There's dangers in the world. How do you deal with that? And he said, same answer. My sincere motivation is my greatest protection. So I want to talk about this greatest protection, sincerity of heart that we can bring to practice. This is um, Nisargadot Maharaj of the wonderful book, I Am That. He says, your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom and perfection will make you live by wisdom, intelligence, and active love. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, honesty. When you are in dead earnest, you bend every incident, every second of your life to your purpose. You don't waste time and energy on other things. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Howie's uh, talk yesterday, he, he asked us what the, the things that get in the way are and what thoughts, and, and it often came down to, am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? And I want to communicate to you that you all have the most important ingredient necessary to awaken, sincerity. And the key is to keep tapping into it, because the motivation for practice is the key. I remember a number of years ago, um, uh, Ram Das, this is before he had the stroke, came to uh, one of our 
teacher meetings here up in the council house. And uh, he asked a very uh, interesting and pointed question. He says, is awakening just a hobby or are you really serious about it? And we all kind of, you know, sat up, whoa, okay. That is the question. You know, you can get very comfortable and, uh, you know, give nice Dharma talks and have good interviews and stuff like that. But to stay connected to that place that really is not settling for anything but a full liberation, um, that takes an ongoing uh, inner reflection and honesty with yourself. Awakening doesn't happen without a passion for awakening. And I wanted to talk for most of this, uh, this talk about the different sources of motivation that can fuel our commitment. Uh, particularly one list that uh, might not be familiar to many of you. It's, a, it's a, a lesser known list, but it's a very inspiring list. It is one of a list of lists. There is a big list called the 37 prerequisites for enlightenment. And you know most of the others on this list. There's the Eightfold Path. There's the Seven Factors of Enlightenment. There's the Five Spiritual Faculties, which can become the Five Spiritual Powers as they develop. There's the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Four Wise Efforts. That leads us up to, we have 33 so far, in case you're counting. And there's one more list the four bases of success, bases of power or roads to success. And the, the name of these four are the four idipadas, idipada, I-D-D-H-I-P-A-D-A. Idi, like the word siddhi, power, and pada, road, path. The Four Roads to Power. And as I uh, share these sources of motivation for us, I uh, caution against you getting into the comparing mind and seeing how you measure up and do you make the grade or not. It's not what I'm sharing this list for. I want you to perhaps tap into that place where you have, you have these. Maybe you have one more than another because there are different temperaments and different, different um, uh, ways of entering into practice. We have combinations of them and some people are more one than another, but we all have these capacities and I hope rather than seeing if you don't measure up, seeing where you do have this capacity that you can 
cultivate more and more in your practice. So the first idipada, source of motivation and inspiration and fuel for practice, is called chanda idipada. The word chanda, C-H-A-N-D-A, which is sometimes translated as a wholesome desire. Maybe you're familiar with the different kind of desires. There's tanha, thirst, craving, grasping. Tanha, desire, that leads to more desire. And then there's wholesome desire, chanda, desire. The desire to come to a retreat. A desire to develop a heart of compassion. Desire to uh, open up to um, develop generosity or whatever other wholesome states are there. That's wholesome desire. So it's a desire to accomplish something that's wholesome. In this particular list, chanda is often um, defined as zeal or enthusiasm. And it is that quality that we can get from time to time that gets very intensely interested in practice. We can have different motives for enthusiasm. We can want to be free of suffering or have a, just a natural sense of wonder that just loves to discover or want a deep purification or want to learn to fully love or just have this real curiosity. What is freedom anyway? If you're an enthusiastic type, then this might come naturally to you. But we all have it. We can be motivated in a very profound way to really just go for it. I am probably more um, of this kind of, of temperament of the, of the different idipadas. Uh, I, am, I can get pretty intense sometimes. <clears throat> I know. <clears throat> My friends sometimes let me know all too much. Just kind of relax, cool out. I got very intense about something that helped chill me out. <clears throat> but that kind of intensity, if you have that intensity to practice, you know, or if you have that kind of intensity, you can channel that, you can funnel that into practice. The f- it was a key turning point at the very beginning of practice, some of you might know this story. It was the first summer at, at uh, 1974 at Naropa Institute uh, where I was, I was just so excited and in love with the Dharma uh, because I saw, wow, it might be really possible to not be driven by my neurotic thoughts, which had never entertained my, my mind before. But I believed Joseph, what he was saying. And one day I, I came to, uh, to the class and I was wearing my, um, my New York Knicks t-shirt. 
I was a season ticket holder to the New York Knicks <clears throat> in those glory days. <clears throat> and it was, v and I was, uh, that m most of my exciting moments in my life happened in Madison Square Garden <laughs> up, 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 up till that, that point. Um, at least, you know, a number of my top ten, I could say. And I, there I was, I was sitting in the, in the room, <clears throat> and, uh, and I realized, oh, I've got my Knicks shirt. Huh. And then this, this horrible thought came to me, and I, I went, I kind of got into, oh, I love the Knicks and how cool they are. Just, and then, oh, I'm supposed to be meditating. Just, <laughs> and uh, there was a dissonance there between what I thought I should be doing and what I knew I loved to do. And, I, and I, it was the first time I went up to Joseph ever. I mustered up the, the courage to speak to him. And I said, uh, excuse me, I have a question for you. He said, yeah. I said, uh, look, I'm a season ticket holder to the New York Knicks. <laughs> and uh, I wonder, am I going to go into Madison Square Garden and watch a game and say, nice shot, Frazier. <laughs> Very good move, Havlicek. Yeah. Okay, because I wasn't ready to to go for it. If that's where this was heading, and he uh, assured me, you'll still have enthusiasm. You'll probably just get over a loss a little bit sooner. And I said, okay, I, I'm in. Sign me up. Uh, but that kind of Enthusiasm, if, if that's your style, is something that you can channel for practice, that you just want to know. You just, you have awe at the mystery. You know, who am I anyway? How did I get here? And if that's not your natural bent, then you can probably touch from time to time your own enthusiasm for practice as you are moved by some kind of um, possible vision of ending suffering or whatever it is that's motivated you. When you have an inspiring vision so that n nothing or no one Will take can take that away from you. There's a real um, empowerment that comes. I just want to ask you, as I as I uh, talk, just to stop for a moment and reflect inside. What inspires you? What gives you that enthusiasm for practice? What have you felt in these last days, maybe touched from time to time, that says, yeah, this is worth it. I want to do it. This is Chanda Idipada. And to connect with that from time to time. And once you kind of get into it, it just becomes so... Um, fulfilling and exciting. I remember one time going into a, an interview with Joseph and saying, you know, I don't know what I've been doing. I, I was like, I opened up to this whole, like, tr 
Alice in Wonderland of practice. Wow, I don't know what I've been doing for the last five years, but this is, this is really amazing. You know? And he said, oh yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. I said, wow. And then he, then he leaned forward. I'll never forget it. He leaned forward and had this real sparkle in his eye, and he said, you know what? It's like we're on the tip of the iceberg. And I, I got, as I right now am having shivers, just, wow, we're at the tip of the iceberg. Not like, oh, there's so much more to do and this is going to be so long. It's like, how exciting, how much more there is to learn. You just keep on looking and it keeps on revealing itself. <clears throat> but sometimes you have to trick yourself to feel that enthusiasm and that wonder. And it's okay to play, play games. For me, I, I have shared with many people, sometimes I imagine like I'm, a, I'm an alien reporting back to the mothership. What is breathing like for these humans? Oh, oh, oh. what is freaking out like for these guys? Oh, what is sadness? What is joy? Let's just check it out like I've never seen it before. That's a, a, a really, for me, a skillful way that I remember my sense of wonder. Something else that I find, if you find the breath very boring at times, at times it can seem boring if the concentration and mindfulness isn't strong, just try this. Close your eyes for a moment and imagine just coming through the birth canal, about to take your very first breath. How interesting would that be? Here it is, your first breath, your first moment of life. Can you be here for it? Or imagine going through a very full, complete life and coming to the end of it. And here you are, about to take your last breath. Once again, can you be here for it? What's it like? Here it is, your last breath, your last moment. Is it interesting? And now let go of birth and death, beginning and end, and notice this breath, which has never been here before, which is, will never be here again, this, this moment, it's all there is. Enthusiasm for practice. It's all quite a mystery how we're around here noticing and being aware of life. And the amazing thing is that the more interest you bring to practice, the stronger the mindfulness, the stronger the mindfulness, the more you see, the more you see, the more interesting it is. So it kind of builds on itself. Chanda Idipada. A second kind of source of motivation 
is what's called virya idipada. Virya is a word that means effort. And in this uh, in this um, context, it means a willingness to endure, a willingness to be here for any experience, a kind of warrior courage, enlightened courage. Dingo Kensei has this beautiful book, Dingo Kensei Rinpoche, enlightened courage. It takes courage to be willing to be here for all of our experience. But the word courage comes again from the heart, not so much being a macho meditator, but right here from a sincere heart. Aditana is another word, determination, that you will, you'll be here for whatever it takes. Now, some people have that kind of heroic warrior spirit. Others aren't those, those kind of strong warriors, tough guy meditators. But effort needs to be wise effort. It's not only about being a macho meditator, as I say. But just to give you a sense of the possibility, here's the Buddha on the warrior side. Before his awakening, he made this determination. If the end is attainable by human effort, I will not rest or relax until it is attained. Let only my skin and sinews and bones remain. Let my flesh and blood dry up. I will not stop the course of my effort until I win that which may be won by human ability, human effort, and human exertion. That's a warrior. Right? Now you're saying, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. <clears throat> Wise effort is a balanced effort. It's not striving. It's not getting tight. It's not thinking, oh, this isn't enough. Again, if your effort is coming from your heart, that's the key. <clears throat> this is a, a letter that somebody wrote to me uh, towards the end of a retreat. <clears throat> it's a huge rele- relief to realize that I, cannot, that I am not in charge of my thoughts, that they come up completely unbidden. It's also a relief to know that I'm not in charge of moments, my moments of awareness, that these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc., etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me incredibly happy. So happily happy that it's really hard for me to come back to my breath right now. But <laughs> what's happening is not up to you, but your willingness to be here for anything, that's the key. And we have all kinds of messages. Oh, this, this one says, 
practice like your hair is on fire. That's a very, the Lady Sayadaw, I think, was, was quoted as that one. And then there is Buddha Dasa that says, who says, nothing to be, nothing to do, nothing to have. There's abandon all concern for the body. And then there's, what is this one? This great. Gendon Rinpoche, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. How do you reconcile these two? What's real effort? You get so many different messages. Well, it takes effort to get here, to land in the present moment. You notice those first few days, manual labor, one teacher calls it, you know, just come on back. (laughs) Okay, come on back. But once you're here, once you're really here, any kind of efforting is extra. Any kind of efforting is becoming, and it takes you out of simply relaxing and just being here. We've been talking about relaxing and, at e- and being at ease uh, a lot this retreat. You might just ask yourself, if you're of the nature to strive what can I do in this moment to bring relaxation and ease? What do I need right now to come to balance? That's wise effort. And if you do whatever you do with the intention of really supporting your practice, then that's skillful effort. It takes courage to be able to meet anything and say, okay, I'll need it. But it also takes wisdom to know when it's a bit much and you just need some space to, uh, to be able to hold things. So, virya idipada, the effort to be here. The third idipada is called chanda idipada. Sorry, chitta idipada. And the word chitta, as you might know, means um, mind. It's the word that's used, heart and mind. But in this context, it's, um, it's a very specific kind of attitude that comes when we've been very touched by practice. Our heart has been touched by practice in such a way that we've tasted for ourselves the purity that moves us deeply. We fall in love with the Dharma. And if you've been fortunate enough to have that taste, everything else pales in comparison. Where you have a genuine connection unobstructed by any kind of sense of self, just directly to the place of authenticity and truth that is transforming. And it's, it's so sweet and so powerful that when you touch it, you just want to live in that space, space as much as you can. Chanda Idipada, sorry, Chitta Idipada, where you just love the Dharma, you've fallen in love with the Dharma. <clears throat> and once you have, then you can't go back. 
This is uh, Punjaji, this teacher that Howie mentioned and that uh, many of us studied, who was studied with. It was very inspiring for me. He says, once you've touched it, this desire for freedom is always there, burning. It's the most intense desire. All other desires are on the surface. They rise and fall, you see. The desire for freedom is intense and you must respond to it. When you respond, this desire will bring you back home and it will continue to trouble you if it's not fulfilled in this lifetime. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not. That is why you come here. Hmm. Punjaji, by the way, had this intense desire. He, before he met uh, Ramana Maharshi, he was a Krishna bhakti, bhakta. And he was so in love with Krishna, this is not uh, alone unique to him, but he is one of the, one of the practitioners who would do this. Uh, he would dress up as a gopi maid to invite his beloved Krishna to come. That's an intense <laughs> longing, right? Well, you just love the Dharma. This is Kabir. He says, Friend, hope for the guest with a capital G, while you are still alive. Jump into experience while you, while you are still alive. Think and think while, you're st- while you are alive. When the guest is being searched for, it is the intensity of the longing for the guest that does all the work. Look at me and you will see a slave of that intensity. And this can connect us with a real feeling of devotion, devotion to the Dharma. It's, it's a lovely and beautiful relationship that we can have to the Dharma. In the, in the Ramayana, Hanuman, who's the servant of God, says, when I forget who I am, I serve you. When I remember who I am, you and I are one. So, at some, at some points, we are devoted to the Dharma and it's us loving the Dharma until we see there's no separation. It's just the Dharma loving itself through us. But this feeling of, of deep devotion and, and um, gratitude and opening up to all the the blessings because we are because our hearts are so open uh, this is a tremendous source of inspiration Sokni Rinpoche has this this uh, image of feeling our devotion to the lineage to our teachers to our benefactors to the Buddha to the Dharma to the Sangha is like having our satellite dish out he calls it you know and when we we give thanks and we're so in love with the Dharma, 
then we can receive all the blessings that the Dharma has to offer to us. I just ask you for a moment to get in touch, maybe close your eyes, and just reflect what have you touched in your own practice that calls you back? What has touched you that you can't ignore? It might have just been a moment walking down the hill or a moment of looking at a flower or a lizard here or a moment of realizing that what is doing the seeking is not who you thought it was. Chitta idipada. When have you fallen in love with the Dharma? This is a, a strong source of motivation for practice that you can't ignore. Okay. And now the, the last of the Idipadas. <clears throat> There's Chanda, Virya, Chitta, and then the fourth is called Vamamsa Idipada. Vamamsa means uh, investigation, just seeing what the truth is. And in this context, it means seeing our predicament and seeing with urgency we want to make the greatest use of this opportunity because as the Buddha says, we're like children playing in the attic of a house that's on fire, playing in our toys with our toys and thinking everything is fine until you see, oh my goodness, this house is on fire. I better do something about this. So when we see the predicament and see this opportunity that we have, we really want to make the most of it. And this is not to be done, at least I, I don't find it helpful, to be done out of fear, out of uh, out of terror, but just out of realizing how uh, what a gift it is to be able to see the truth and to be able to be free. So this famamsa, this is this is more for those who who really want to investigate and see. Okay, what's going on? Maybe there's there's less of the of the natural enthusiasm or the heroic effort, but you see, oh my goodness, this is what's happening here. And particular, particularly, there are four reflections that are offered that give us um, pause for seeing, oh, I better make use of this time. In the Tibetan, they're called the four mind changers. They're also in the Theravadan, too. 
One, to be born a human is extremely rare. Extremely rare. The preciousness of a human birth. That this is the best realm to wake up. You know how it's the, the chances are, you know, unfathomable, it's said, of being born a human. <clears throat> the image of, of a, a turtle going up from, from the depths of the, of the ocean and popping its head up through a wooden yoke, supposedly greater, oh, coming up every hundred years, that's it, greater than being born a human. You say, oh, come on, that's a little bit much. <clears throat> but there was one line in, uh, in Wes Nisker's book, Buddha's Nature, that, that really uh, struck me as to the rarity of what we're, what we're doing here. It says in there that there are more microorganisms in your mouth right now than there have been humans since the beginning of time. <laughs> Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing? So, you know, this doesn't come along every day, right? We want to make the most use of this time, particularly that we've been so fortunate enough to be exposed to the Dharma and have the opportunity to practice. Amazing. What amazing karma we have. That's the first. The preciousness of a human birth. Second, realizing the truth of impermanence and death. We're going to die. How do you want to spend your time? There's no getting around it. We might think everything is hunky-dory, but when we take a look, we see that's not the deal. I want to read to you, I, I love this poem by Joyce Wellwood called The Dakini Speaks about this mind changer. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. If we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, Everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like human ripe beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. We will live 
until as long as we live and then we will die. And this is an amazing opportunity to not waste. The third mind changer, the called the shortcomings or the defects of samsara, that what we think will bring us happiness will not bring us happiness in the, in the long run. <clears throat> and the more we understand it, it's not a, a depressing thought. It can motivate us to see, okay, where is real happiness? And this is the, uh, the understanding that's called samvega. Perhaps you are not familiar with, or maybe you are. Samvega, the oppressive sense of shock dismay and alienation that comes with realizing the futility and meaninglessness of life as it's normally lived. A chastening sense of one's own complacency and foolishness in having let oneself live so blindly and an anxious sense of urgency in trying to find a way out of the meaningless cycle. Now the operative word, words, the meaninglessness of life as it's normally lived. This is a very important thing to see. Not that life isn't to be appreciated. I am all for appreciating all the goodness and the joys in life, appreciating the love and the joy and the happiness and the blessings, but not to stop there. There's something greater than just experiencing and maximizing our, our pleasant experiences. And that is seen when we see the shortcomings of samsara. And then the last mind changer is a reflection on karma. That what you do now is either leading towards suffering or towards happiness that you are creating in a very real way your unfolding. And so that's a, that's a powerful motivation to use this time wisely. <clears throat> in every single moment, you're, if you're acting from greed, hatred, delusion, or grasping, attachment, ignorance, grasping, aversion, ignorance, you're leading, you're creating more suffering in your life. If you're acting with clarity, kindness, caring, compassion, generosity, you're creating well-being and happiness. So when you reflect on that, it's really important to make good use of this time. Vamamsa Idipada, reflecting on the story here. And I just again, ask you, what have you seen that makes you want to make the most of your time here and take this opportunity? What have you seen for yourself? So with all of this, your greatest protection with all of these different roads of success or power comes down to 
something that you've touched right in your heart, your own sincerity. And yet, you can't even claim that to be yours. So we, we also don't need to identify with that which is wanting to be free. What is it? Who is it that's doing the seeking? It's just, in a, in a way, you can think of it as life fulfilling its destiny through you. It's just coming home to itself, and you are a vehicle for that transformation to happen. A very graced, very fortunate vehicle. So I hope you stay in touch with your sincerity and know that as long as you're facing in the right direction and keep your heart connected to the process, uh, awakening will happen. And I'll close with this Dana Falls poem, a favorite, called That's... Well, I won't tell you the title until... because that's the last line. You mean to say that I'm plugged into the same socket as that electric blue sky? So vibrant that I want to lose myself in its azure height? You mean that the same juice that runs the universe flows through me like a love song or a bolt of lightning? You mean life isn't about being good or perfect, but daring to freely follow energy? Are you trying to say in your slow and patient way that the presence of God is everywhere? That even as I bumble through my life, I have no reason to hide? That I'm not a sinner, but a conduit for light? That even when I'm dull and uninspired, the seeds of my awareness are sprouting even now? How utterly audacious, but I know you're right. Holding back just leaves me feeling less alive, while letting go leads, well, I don't know where it leads, but I know that's where I'm heading. That's where I'm heading. So let's sit for a moment. How wonderful to realize that's where you're heading. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.